Hello, everyone. I wanted to do a cold open here before we get to our interview with Katie Arnold to talk about my good friend, Maria Thrash. Maria is a legend in the endurance community here in Atlanta. Um, and she unfortunately died yesterday about the same time we were recording this podcast. Right about the time we were going to put it out this morning, we got that news. Um, and I considered not putting out the podcast because I thought it would be callous and because I thought that, that it just felt like the wrong thing to do. Um, but at the same time, some of the things that I know matter to Maria are things that we talked about in this podcast. Maria and I first met back in 2012. I needed to improve my swimming in order to become a better triathlete. Uh, and there was no question who I was going to go to to improve my swimming um, because such was the nature of her reputation. Uh, she did improve me as a swimmer significantly uh, and by extension improved me as a triathlete. We became much closer to one another starting in 2016 because she and I fell into a habit of, of doing bike workouts together indoors on Tuesday mornings. And we did those virtually every week throughout 2016, 2017, 2018, and into 2019. Um, and over the course of those four years, I dare say I did workouts with Maria Thrash more than any other single person. She was my most reliable and most frequent training partner over the course of that time. Maria was a tireless coach. She was extremely dedicated to her athletes um, and was a model for all of us to follow in that regard. She had some not insignificant health problems that prevented her from being able to accomplish some of her own athletic goals, but she always tried to find a way. And as I thought about whether we should put out this podcast, I thought about Maria's mantra of finding a way and how much that lined up with the discussion that we had with Katie Arnold about running where you are. And that's something that I think that Maria would appreciate. So Maria, we miss you and we love you. And let's get on with the show. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust the training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel can be found at bluepineappletravel.com. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They are all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The agents at Blue Pineapple Travel love to help people plan their travel. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want. Whether you're looking for relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with a group, inside the U.S. or abroad, they're there to match you to the trip for you. Blue Pineapple Travel will help you curate all of the travel information out there to create the exact vacation that you want. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. 
And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by SlayRx. You can find them at www.slayrx.com. SlayRx is a sports nutrition company that makes products for athletes, team sports, and anyone that trains or works outdoors. SlayRx was founded by an endurance athlete and University of Georgia food scientist who was unhappy with the choices he was offered on course in long course triathlons. He started making his own mixes, and now you can enjoy those same mixes. SlayRx offers differing levels of electrolytes in their hydration products, and you can get them with or without calories. You can either take their online test at SlayerX.com or you can be tested in their laboratory to determine the exact amount of liquid and electrolytes that you need to be consuming while racing. In addition to hydration products, SlayerX offers fueling products like their product Diesel, which is available with or without the optimum level of caffeine that is scientifically proven to legally enhance performance while limiting GI upset and diuretic impact. If you're looking for alternative gels, try SlayerX Spark Plug, a Pop Rocks-like powder that combines the same electrolytes that are in their other products, encapsulated caffeine, and quickly absorbed carbohydrates. It comes in a plastic tube so it can be carried while running, and it will work to enhance and fuel your alertness, general happiness, and performance. Remember, tell them the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast sent you by using the coupon code PLEASANT2020 at checkout on their website, and you'll get 10% off anything you purchase there. That's SlayerX.com, Pleasant2020. Test, don't guess with SlayerX. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast possible. Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slayer X. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a father of twin boys. My name is Michelle Frank. I am a mom to three girls. I work as a CPA, and I am also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. And we have with us somebody that we are super, super excited to welcome, Katie Arnold, author of Running Home. Welcome, Katie. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Really fun. Yeah, we're super excited to have you. We asked Katie to come on the podcast after we announced uh, reading Running Home for our most recent uh, Most Pleasant Exhaustion book club choice. And just a little bit of background, um, Katie was a contributing editor and former managing editor at Outside Magazine. She was there for about 12 years. Um, She uh, originated and created the Raising Rippers column, which I used to read on Outside magazine online all the time, especially when my older kids were younger. Um, And she also has a very prestigious uh, running background. She was the winner of Leadville 100 in 2018. Um, She's also won other races in the ultra field. And we asked her to come on because we had some listener questions that we wanted to talk to her about, plus just reflect on our own um, experiences reading the book. So glad to have you here, Katie. I'm excited. Thank you so much for your support and interest in the book. Yeah, so I actually originally uh, read the book right when it came out on hardcover in uh, early 2019. And then just was like waiting with bated breath for the for the softbacks. You know, we focus a lot on running and endurance sports on this podcast. And um, we chose this book and it's titled Running Home. But I think the most interesting thing about it and what I had a hard time sort of explaining to George when I said, I really think we should read this book, even though I've already read it. I think you're going to like it. I want to read it again, was it's titled Running Home, but it's not so much about running. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you chose the title and kind of the metaphorical oh, use that. of the word can running you, in the title? 
can you say that like a hundred times? Because people see the title and they're like, oh, it's a how-to or it's a running book. So I, I never um, really conceived of it as a running book, which is funny. I've always thought of it as a memoir of my of losing my father and um, kind of finding myself in the process. And the vehicle through which I found myself, obviously, and through which I... Um, recovered from my grief or went through my grief was running but it always was a much bigger story about my father and me and and who he was as a very enigmatic and um formidable person in my life and um and all the things I didn't know about him that I discovered after his death but um if if you've lost anyone close to you or your your listeners have you know that when you when that happens it's it's just this cataclysmic experience and it um, changes the way you see everything. And so that was such a profound um, experience losing my father that I wanted to capture what that was like. Um, our story is so layered in that um, he was so um, important in my life and such a major influence, but he did not, I didn't grow up in the same house with him. So he was physically absent, but emotionally so present. And um, so losing him, you know, right after I gave birth to my second daughter, I was in my late thirties. Um, you know, I had postpartum, it was grief, it was midlife all wrapped up in one. And um, the anxiety that followed as part of the grief was, was something I'd never experienced before. I was sure I was dying too. And I didn't know that I now know that that's a fairly common or not uncommon experience after you lose someone. Like it's almost like you take on their symptoms and their pain. Yeah. Um, but I I didn't know what was happening and I, and I was sure I was dying. And so um, running was my way through that. And um, I've always been a runner, as you'll read as you read in the book. It's been this thing I've done since I was a child, mostly as a personal expression. You know, less competitive. Um, and so I turned to running as healing, but nothing was premeditated. You know, it wasn't like, oh, my dad is sick and dying. I'm going to start running and I'm going to write a mem, you know, write a story about it. It was just in grief. It's just like a fog, right? You can't see your way forward. Yeah. And, and I so, see that yeah. metaphorical. I mean, I mean, there are times in the book where like, you really are running home. I mean, you're trying to catch that flight. You're trying to make yeah. that connection. So I just, I think it's fascinating how even oh, yeah, you'd it wasn't premeditated, it yeah, all combines together. You asked me about the title and um, I, lo I love telling the story about the book because um, again, it was like a few years after my father died that I realized that all this time running and writing, I keep notebooks. So like people call them journals, but I just write in my notebooks and I had been writing in them you know, all the time during his death and trying to capture it because that's really how he taught me to be in the world as an observer. And, you know, as a photographer for National Geographic, he was so expert at capturing those moments that so many of us miss. So I had kept these notebooks and I had all, you know, all my writings about his dying and his deathbed and, and then the aftermath. And, but it was like two years afterwards, I was running as I always do up my little mountain in Santa Fe. And I got to the top and I always stop at the top to sort of take it in and have a moment and just like feel it. And, um, cause you have this gorgeous view of Santa Fe. And I got, I, I sat down for a minute and sort of took it all in. And then I turned to go and I was like, oh, I'm running home. 
And those words just resonate. It was like, of course, I'm always running home. Like always yeah. when you're at the end of your run and you flip it for home, you're running home. Right. But it was deeper. It was like, it hit me on all these levels of like, oh, I'm running home to myself, right? I'm running home to, you know, my truth as a person and I'm running home to my memories of my father. And it just worked on so many levels. And as soon as I got that phrase, I knew I had the title. And to a book that I didn't know even at the time I was writing, but it was like, I got those words. And then I was like, Oh, what I've been doing is writing a book. So it was pretty magical. Um, and it just, yeah, it just seemed to, to capture everything that I had been experiencing down to the fact that I did try to make it home for when he passed away and didn't quite. Yeah. I, I love that. I think that's so cool. And, and I, I think it's neat to hear you talk about that because there were several times in the book, where you articulated things and feelings and stuff that I've had over the course of a long career as being a runner um, that I hadn't necessarily quite articulated. Um, for example, at one point you're talking about the flow state and you said that you're constantly seeking a state of flow. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and you basically said that running is just a way of getting in flow, but so is writing. And so is all these other things that I do. Yeah. And I really, really like that because I'm like, I do too. Um, but I've never like really articulated that. Um, but I want to ask you about something in particular related to what you just said, like that double meaning or that multiple multi-layered meaning of running home. Um, there was a phrase that you used when you were talking about, you were training for the, one of your early ultras, the one that went in the volcano. Um, yeah. and, and you said that you were training at 600 feet of altitude, but it, it was at a much higher altitude. Um, and, and you used a phrase in there where you said, um, uh, I can't really, where you, you, said, you said, I can't really train exactly the way it is, but, um, but I have to train right now. You run where you are. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Lo um, that's one of my guiding ideas in running. Cool. This is George's new guiding idea. Also. <laughs> well, maybe George, you can tell me, what, tell me what it means to you, because it seems like we're all having to practice that really hard right now. When if our travel, like, I'm not sure what it's like in Georgia, but we're pretty, um, you know, limited in our range right now for ra for, for sure racing, but um, it's, it's forcing us to have that relationship with our home hills and our home streets or home trails. And, um, obviously like we all want, like, I was just having this fantasy the other day of going back to the Grand Canyon where I've run a bunch of times, always this time of year. And it feels like Grand Canyon time, but I can't really go for travel reasons for my kids' school. They don't want us leaving. And, um, so, but it's like so beautiful to have that memory. And like, I know I'll run in the Grand Canyon again. It's not going anywhere. It's like the oldest exposed rock on the planet, right? Like it's there. And, but right now I have to run here. And um, what can that teach us about um, not gripping onto things, but like just being present and being with what is. So um, I think it's good practice, mm -hmm. good Zen practice for sure. And, and running with what you've got. Mm -hmm. Right so I think that's great because I think the difference between George and I, and this is why it's so helpful for me to talk about the book with him, is I hear running where you are and I'm like, George, she's at 600 feet and she's training for this race at high altitude. Like, how is she going to do that? Like, how does this work? And he's like, no, no, it's a, it's a big metaphor. And I'm like, oh, you're right. It's a big metaphor. It is. But I will say like, so I did that. I'll just to clarify for listeners, I spent a month at 600 feet in, in Ontario in Canada. And cause we go there every summer with our, my family. Um, and I have since I was a child, but I live 11 months of the year at 7,000. Right. 
Yeah. So I, I have like <laughs> 7,000 foot lungs, but yeah, right. The month before Leadville, I mean, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to change my plans. Like going home, going to Stony Lake is like running home. I mean, yeah. it's so fundamental to me. And so, but you're just like, okay, I guess I'm going to be doing speed work because I can run so much faster at sea level. Sure. But there's like no hills, you know, and it's just, I think life trains you. And that's what I, I, I wrote a piece for the New York times after Leadville, where I was like, everything counts as training. Right. And, and um, yeah, you talked about walking to and from your kid's school. I mean, everything counts, everything counts. And it feels like a much more holistic and sort of like um, inclusive approach and less, I've always been an unconventional runner. Like I generally don't have a training plan. I have mostly been uncoached or self-coached. And so it, I, I like that because th when things get into boxes and on lists, to-do list, like something about my brain, like I either want to rebel against it or come up with something better, you know, but I like it when there's that little bit of mystery and spontaneity. That said, I like structure. Like I do um, like some pieces in my day to be the same, but I also, if I get into a rigid structure, uh, I just lose all the joy in running too, which is something that's always brought me joy. So it's a really fine line I have to walk or run and um, you can ask my coach. I'm newly coached, at, or not even Ooh. new. David Roach is my coach. Okay. And we read the Happy Runner I was next say last that's month, funny. so <laughs> he's amazing, and he's amazing. And all I can say is that he is putting up with a lot of shenanigans from me as I try to be my like internal runner, like running from the inside with a coach is just a hard line for me to figure out because. Um, I like it to feel like it's um, like there's always a little mystery and or and surprise and um, you know he writes amazing plans so we just have to I, I have to like be accountable to his awesomeness and <laughs> it's been a learning curve for me which is nothing it reflects nothing on him. Yeah that's interesting how you talk about the kind of mystery of it because uh, I kind of feel like there's in a lot of running memoirs, authors, you know, talk about how they loved running from the start, but you don't actually say that. So I think we both kind of had a hard time pinning down how it really developed in your life. Like you said at one point that you liked it because it forced you to think only about it and not the other stressors in your life. But then you also said that you were able to work out turns of phrase and different ideas you needed for your writing while running. And I think at one point you even said running in Santa Fe went from something that you quote needed to something that you quote enjoyed. So can you talk a little bit about kind yeah, of that? And it's, that's, a, that's an interesting um, read on it because I feel like I've always loved running, like always as, you know, from the first race I did, maybe not that first race, which was a total lark. And I, there's a chapter devoted to it in running home, but where my dad, I was seven and he was like, hey, do you want to run a 10K? And he was just always looking for like, goofy ideas or things like um, outings, right, for us to do when we visited him at his farm in Virginia. And my sister and I said yes for different reasons. Like, I, you know, my dad, I didn't live with him. I would wanted to impress him, you know, all that stuff. So I did it. And, um, and then I went on to do that same race every year. And it, it really solidified my identity as a runner. Like I believed in myself as a runner and it didn't have, it didn't come because I was running 
competitively at home. Like I didn't join the track team or cross country teams. My sister did. And my sister is two years older than me. And if you're a younger sibling or have younger siblings, you'll see that a lot of times when the older sibling does something, the younger sibling's like, I'm out. I got to do something different. Sure. And there's no way I was going to try to compete with my sister. She's six feet tall. Like, <laughs> you know. so, so running was her thing in my mind. And it's sad a little bit to think of it, like all the things, like, what if I had been a competitive runner in high school? Like, what could I have been capable of? Um, but I think in a way, because I didn't compete and no one ever forced it on me, that's another thing. It was the eighties and, you know, parents didn't do that. They didn't like voice sure. their own ambitions on kids or like- There were no parents, parents at cross country meets. I mean, my parents- on like, Twitter. <laughs> as long as you're at the dinner table and alive, like we don't really care what you do. And that said, I was ambitious and I like did three sports, but running wasn't one of them. And so, but anyway, my point is that my, no one forced me to compete in running. And so I got to keep running as this really private joy. And so it might not look like the running that, you know, the traditional trajectory of a competitive athlete where like you love it and you compete and you're at cross country and you're going to state, like that was not my story, but I love running because it was my way to be in motion in my body and in motion in my mind. And so I learned early on that running, when I move my body, whether it was running or um, riding my bike, or shooting hoops in the backyard that like I, there was this direct connection between my imagination and my movement. And so I wrote stories in my head when I ran and um, the two then the creativity and the running have always been like, you know, completely intertwined. And um, so I think the only thing that I've had questions about with running is like actually my competitiveness with running and did I want to compete and then bring that private thing out so that it could be, you know, my um, performance was then based on like time and finish and, you know, versus the feeling I had when I ran, which is like that anything's possible and that all these stories existed in the world. And so that's really what I've come to terms with just as a competitive athlete is trying to preserve the um, kind of sanctity of right as running as like a very personal thing while being competitive on the, you know, on a running, you know, in the running world. So it's, it's a delicate balance because for me, it's always been so, you know, the, the competition is just like the tip of the iceberg for me. Sure. It, it, it's such an interesting thing to hear that. And I, I that, that was a question that I, that I, as Michelle said, I had too, because I feel like most people fall into one of two categories. They're either the type that you described that, you know, started running in high school and they were competitive and they ran their 5Ks and all that sort of thing, and then just kind of continued running. And that's my story. Mm -hmm. um, or they were like, they have one of those origin stories, like the story you told about Dean Karnazes twice mm -hmm. in your book, that <laughs> like he was 30 and unsatisfied in his life and he just bolted off the porch and ran 35 miles, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and your story didn't seem to fit into either one of those categories. Well, those um, are, the, yeah, they're the two extremes. And mine is sort of this like, middle thing of like, oh, I've been a runner my whole life, but I don't, I wasn't that, you know, driven cross-country athlete in high school. Like I, so yeah, it's different. It's funny when I, when I pitched this book um, to agents, like, you know, when it was still a proposal, I had a lot of interest right off the bat, but one person was like, 
oh, it's too bad you didn't just come to running like in, in your grief. Like it wasn't like the spontaneous thing you'd never run before. And I was like, that's so weird because there's so many layers and depth to my story. Like, why would you want to take away that whole, mm-hmm. I mean, it speaks so much about childhood in that era where like you could just do something for intrinsic reasons Mm -hmm. you know and now kids there's so much pressure to like perform and be on travel soccer and like get the scholarship and line everything up and like compete 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 that like kids don't learn how to do things because they it brings them joy and that's all running did for me for many years was just like this thing I just did alone like I have that scene in the book where I'd put on that yellow Sony sports Walkman in excess or, you know, the police and like just run and no one was watching. No one cared. And it was like just pure pleasure. Um, I was probably wearing my like tree torn sneakers and, you know, it's simpler. So, so Michelle's not getting any of your references, but I'm getting I, all of them. I know. Thank Excuse you. me. I'm not I, that. I feel you, George. Um, I actually had tree torns once, so. Yeah, they, they, they were retro when you had them, but yeah, okay. <laughs> what can I say? Um, so, well, I mean, with that then, I mean, so, and I think it's interesting you mentioned um, that, that David Roach is coaching you now, because like Michelle said, like we read the Roach's book last month um, and yeah. we talked about it on the podcast and such a big central part of their book is, is talking about finding your why. And yeah. I've actually been picking on Michelle for more than a month now about finding her why, because she's like, nah, 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 that's stupid. Um, and, and first of all, I didn't, it's not that it's stupid. It's that I feel like I'm the type of person where somebody would say, what is your why? And I should be able to, you know, give a perfectly paragraph thesis and multiple layers of this is what my why is and this is why and I don't feel like I can articulate that okay 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 that's true that's true okay so so those things aren't mutually exclusive so so I asked her to do it and she can't do it and then she gets mad at me for asking her that's how it goes um but but I was I, I feel like in reading your book and thinking about like what your why is it sounds like like two things one it sounds like your why kind of shifts Mm-hmm. And, and two, it sounds like you kind of like take on additional whys and shed other whys and stuff like that. Is that, is that I, accurate? I think the why is always shifting. Like it's not a fixed thing. And I, I appreciate what Michelle said about like not necessarily being able to give like the, you know, the 30 second pitch about your why, because it changes. I mean, I think the deepest why for me, at least expressed in the book is, um, you know, initially it was to go through my, to go through grief and like to get into that place of where you move beyond thoughts. And because you're both runners, you, you know, that feeling when like you first start a run and you've got like the to-do list in your brain, or you've got the worry list of like, oh my God, is my ankle okay? Or, you know, why can't I breathe right now? Like, am I getting slow? Like you have all that chatter, which is just the chatter of the world that we bring with us on the run. But you know, what is it like after 15, 20 minutes or 30 minutes or a little bit longer, like you get into that lulled state where you can exist beyond your thoughts. And you, it's that, you know, repetitive motion in your body. That's that sort of the cadence of it, but it's like a moving meditation. And so that was my initial why, like that was just survival because I literally thought I was dying of something different every week. And my imagination, which as a writer is this huge gift to me, 
and is like, oh, I've always had it. And I, you know, I can write a whole story in my head based on like one line that I heard in the coffee shop, but, you know, so it's a gift, but then when you're in a grief state, it becomes um, sort of your own worst enemy in that, you know, I was concocting all these, you know, fabricated scenarios of how I might die. And so running was like, I could just escape from that. And um, I could be in this meditative place without the worries. And, and so that was the initial why. And then, you know, but I'd say the deeper sort of um, longer lifetime why is that, you know, to be in nature and to be in wild places is a source of massive inspiration to me as a creative person. And to be in motion in nature is like the trifecta, right? Those three things like nature, motion, and then in my imagination, I'm moving. And so um, just as a writer, because I've, you know, I became a writer roughly the same time I became a runner, which is like at age seven, I knew that's what I would do. Um, I, I discovered that connection, I think just by accident. Um, there was a lot of strife in my family. And so, or not strife, but just um, tension with remarriage and whatnot. And so I always felt most at home outside, right away from it. And so I discovered that early. And I, I just knew that to be a writer in the world meant that I would be a mover and a runner too, because they were linked. And, but I do think like Michelle said, my why, and like you pointed out, my why does continue to shift. Um, and when my why gets too fixated on results, like I want to win this or be best at this, um, the why I kind of lose the joy. So, um, I have to be careful. I'd say my why is changing into sort of like more, um, like a spiritual path of running and sort of showing me my connection to, to everyone on the planet and kind of, um, helping helping with that and, and sort of trying to do greater good with my running so that it's not just about races, but can I put my re can I put my running toward environmental causes and awareness and, and, and lift up the greater good versus um, just racing? You know, that's fascinating because I'm, I don't know if this was intentional or if this is only kind of 1% of what you intended when you wrote and I think it's like 90%, but I noticed this huge theme of progression. Like you said, you know, at one point, uh, the secret to running isn't speed or stamina, it's progression. And right. you kind of go on and you, you do a good job of almost juxtaposing life's regressions with like, and showing how they're actually opportunities for progression. Yeah. Um, so like, was this intentional? I mean, it seems like even the, I just need to make it through, you know, the grief phase. I need to progress through the grief phase after my father died and I need to, my why is continually changing. I mean, but in terms of, you know, kind of progressing through life and progressing as a runner, um, was that intentional or did I just like zone in on something that maybe I can relate to more than most no, people? No, I think, <laughs> I think progression is, is a big theme, but as you point out, like, what I learned in writing the book and then really what I've learned since, to be honest, which is sort of like what I'm working on my next book is that the regression or what I call in running home, the eddies, when you're sort of in that spinning where you're not sure you can't see the way forward, you feel like you're just kind of spinning out. Like grief was a giant eddy, right? But you and almost spin that as another door opening in a way, don't yes. you? Yes. Well, that's what I think. And I don't know that I was aware of it at the time, but I'm certainly aware of it, that those eddies are super productive. Like they feel awful 
And like, if you're eddy, if you're eddied out in grief, you're just like, I can't see my way forward. Or like, we're all in a bit of an eddy right now, like waiting on politics and waiting on the pandemic and like, not sure um, kind of what the future looks like. It's super uncomfortable, but I did learn. And I have learned since even more that those eddies, you think you're just stalled out, but you're actually really growing. And that the adversities are these, are a source of opportunity if you have the, the mindset for that. Um, and so in, I learned that with my dad, like losing him was awful. Like the worst, like I so wish there's so many days that I wish he were still here. He would get such a kick out of my kids. I wish he could see the book. I mean, the book wouldn't exist if he was still alive, but like, sure. you know, I, I think about that all the time, but at the same time, I learned so much about him after his death. And in some ways, like I know him better now than I did when he was alive. And so that is this great sort of thing that came out of it. And so it's not binary. It's not like good and bad. They're all swirled up. But I think what I learned is that in those low points, like you're actually growing, like those setbacks can really be springboards. You just have to be patient and um, kind to yourself. That's great. Very good. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's funny because we're talking and I want to ask you the next question. I, I don't want to move on too quickly for one thing, because I want to take the time to reflect on what you're saying myself, but at the other time, same time also, I, I like, I, it's, it's sort of like when a symphony finishes playing and you want to like pause for a second and then let it settle in and then, oh, clap, yeah. you know, and so, so well I appreciate it. I, I appreciate you going deep for us. Um, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, we love um, it. <laughs> um, so, so um, I uh, a, a different question that kind of popped up, and 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 when you were talking before about the the link between your your creativity um, and and the way your mind runs as your body runs, um, which is something that I definitely have found as well. Um, and that that when I can't work things out, I tend to work them out better when I'm running. And and I think it's funny because people always ask us like, what do you think about when you're running? And it's like, you know, think about a lot of stuff when you're running. Um, or, or they think, you know, did your mind just goes blank and it's actually the opposite. But um, I, I, what I was going to ask, and I think you kind of mentioned this is, is um, that, and it's something I've always wondered about when it comes to the mindset of people who run. Do you think that you were, you were, a writer before you were a runner or you were a runner before you were a writer or like the things that made you a better writer, did those come from running or the things that made you a better runner, did those come from writing? Um, or is it just all kind of mixed up together? That's a great question. Um, I mean, chronologically, they really started to happen right around the same time. Again, when I was like six or seven, my parents had um, divorced and were remarried and I was in a new town, a new state and, um, trying to make sense of a lot of things. And um, the way I did that was like by making stories and trying to like solve things. So I loved um, this heroine of this book called Harriet the Spy and I, it's a children's book. And I like, I pretended I was Harriet and I went around like collecting clues. And so that was like the origins of me wanting to be a writer. Harriet was a writer and like the way she wrote her stuff was she like amassed lots of like she would sleuth her way to stories. And I love that. And so I, I started doing that and that's right around the same time that I ran that race. And I, um, I started to feel that connection. So I think I've always been both, um, 
possibly like the writing predating the running just by a hair. But then when I ran to feel that the running felt so natural to me was incentive to keep going and exploring that. And so um, definitely writing makes me a better runner um, because I, I hold in mind that like, I'm not just running to run myself into the ground or to compete or to win or whatnot, but I'm running to really serve my writing. Um, so like you said, when you go on a run to solve some stuff, like I'll do that with my running. I'll, I'll, I'll basically use my running to prime myself to write, if that makes sense. So like, I'll go out and do like just an exhilarating run in the mountains not because it's on my schedule or because it's on my schedule from my coach, but also because I know I want to come back to my table and bring that feeling of expansiveness and flow and possibility into my writing. And so I, it's like a direct infusion and not like every run is like that. You know, of course we have the hard sticky runs or the, just the draggy runs, but, um, I, I deliberately use, um, running to help me with writing and um, I think writing helps me with running in that like, I always identify as a writer as much as a runner. And so that keeps things in check. Like if, um, you know, I'm gonna go too far down the competitive road, it's like, oh wait, like I wanna run my whole life. I wanna run till I'm 85 years old and can't another step. Ditto with writing. Like I wanna write till my last day on earth. And so the two really need to work in concert. And um I, I'm, I, I love it. I love that I have both and that they totally, um, it's symbiosis. Very cool. That's so fascinating. Um, so there's a scene in the book or a, a part of the book where you talk about um, you and your husband, Steve, are discussing, you know, what should your athletic uh, mm -hmm. goal or accomplishment be? And you guys each took a piece of paper and you both wrote down uh, to run a 50K. So, uh, you know, the I guess the final third of the book is really about your transition into ultra running and um, kind of the path that that followed. But do you ever wonder what would have happened if you had it both written 50K? Like, would you, you have- both would have written you, 5K? You, yeah, like or if you had written the 50K, but Steve hadn't, would you have done it anyway? Like, would you guys have done, not done it together? Because I feel like that really sets the stage for almost, you know, the next- I love that. I have to show life. you, like that's up on my wall. I don't know if you see that. Really? It's oh a my little, gosh. yeah, it's up on my little collage board. <laughs> That's cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was just very sort of like one of those moments of kind of weird magic that happens. And like, you know, my husband and I, he's amazing. And we've always done outdoor stuff together, like since we met and it's part of who we are as a couple and as individuals. So it's not super surprising, but at the same time, like as I write in the book, Steve doesn't make resolutions. Like, he, like, I don't know where that came from. We must've sort of been like vaguely talking about it, or it was possible that it was like a, like a hangover from, or like spillover <laughs> from that time with Dean Carnassus when I was sure. like, oh, I interviewed that amazing ultra runner. That had been a couple of years earlier. So it kind of came out of nowhere, like some of the best things in life. It's just like, <laughs> what? And so, yeah, I don't know. I think that if he hadn't written it, no one's asked me that question, but I love it because I don't know if he hadn't written it, would I have done it? Like it was so. Like it's something you guys were all in together. Like it was very much mm -hmm. for the two of you, which 
you know, over the years, kind of his running stepped aside for yours yeah. to progress and excel. Right. So I just think it's fascinating that um, I've just. It's so cool. It's so cool that he was like at the start with me. And like, I mean, at the start of the journey, like also at the start of the race. And he's just so much fun to hang out with because he's an amazing athlete and he doesn't train for anything. And so he's like <laughs> total off the couch, like the kind of person you hate because they're just natural athletes. Sure. And you're just like, really? Like, I'm just putting in my time and you're just going to go out there. <laughs> And so he was always faster at me at shorter distances. Like we would just, you know, like once a year we would do a race, like on a lark, we'd always show up late or whatever. And, um, and so I, but I love his spirit because it did, it sort of like got me to the starting line. And then I was able to keep going on my journey. Um, even when he sort of peeled off, I kept telling him, I was like, you'd be so good if you just trained. And he's like, oh, my knees hurt too much. I'm like, you just have to train. Like you just have to, you know, get them used to it. But yeah, it's, it was, it was so great that he was early on with me. Like, those are some of my happiest moments. Ditto, like with, when he paced me at Leadville, like it was sort of like he made like, you know, um, a cameo and again, like, here I am a runner, you know, and, um, but it's nice. He has his own thing. He's really avid fly fisherman. And, uh, so it's good that we have our things, but, um, yeah, I love that he was part of it. So, I mean, you kind of dropped the Leadville bomb right there, but, um, if we want to talk a little you, you, bit, you about- open the door and Michelle's going to go right through it. Yeah. Wait, wait, like I'm done. My flight to Denver is like February 1st. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. I, mean, I could talk but, about Leadville all night. <laughs> um, by the way, I do have a flight February 1st, but anyway, um, <laughs> I mean, so here's what I actually, I mean, I, I, I want to talk about ultra running and running Leadville and everything, but the timing of you riding running home mm-hmm. and kind of when you won Leadville in 2018 and then running home came out, I guess, six or nine months later, like, were you training for that type of run at Leadville while you were also trying to write the memoir? Yeah, I had finished the memoir. I was in revisions. No, um, I was even like post revisions into like production mode. Okay. So it was perfect because I'd done all the heavy lifting of the writing, which actually was like, was like a prolonged flow state, like running Leadville. The the writing of it was not um, especially onerous. I mean, it was time consuming. And, and, but the revisions, there was like a lot of revisions because I wanted to get the pacing right. And Um, But no, when I was training for Leadville, I was like clear of that. And I was into sort of the um, just like finishing touches, which made it easy. I think that was why I was able to be so successful and focused. So that was a perfect case of where my writing, you know, was like took a backseat to the running, like the running took center stage because I had done most of the hard writing. And so I could focus more on the running. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think George and I both have a little bit of an interest in Leadville, maybe <laughs> a little bit more than George. Now he's trying to pretend like it's his bucket race and everything. I'm not, um, I'm, not. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm in support of, of you doing it, Michelle, for sure. 100%. <laughs> um, but I guess, you know, just in, in, in honoring your time, um, if you, you know, had something that you wanted to say to maybe somebody who was looking to run the Leadville 100 and, uh, just, you know, a piece of advice or um, any thoughts like that? I mean, I think like just run from your heart. Leadville, there is so much heart at Leadville and the, there's so much history there and, and it just like oozes 
heart, which is why it was such a perfect race for me because I run and write from my heart. Like I'm not into the numbers. I'm not into, you know, stats. I I use a watch now, but sort of like half-ass, sorry if that's a swear, but um, (laughs) so it's just, um, it's a really special place. It's a special race. Like, I think if you run from your heart and run where you are, like run, make your Atlanta trails and hills, like your friend and just have a relationship with that and, and, and sort of, and then take it to Leadville. And like, it's just so special and just open to their energy and the mountains. And this is what I did at Leadville. I was like, I just felt the mountains energy. And I was like, if I, my race strategy was really pretty simple. Like don't go out too fast. So let's get specific. Don't go out too fast. And, but then mine was like, um, just tap in the mountains have energy and like, try to ride that as long as you can. And I thought like, okay, if I can ride that for half the race or more, and then I can just got my way through the rest but I, um, I just wrote it the whole way. And so there's something really special. This sounds super woo woo. You're probably at, you were probably looking for like, eat a gel, tw- two gels an hour. <laughs> no, no, I don't also want any like, of that stuff. <laughs> you know, but like, you know, don't go out too fast, eat your gels for sure fuel, but then like, just take it in, right? Like soak it in. Cause that's your energy. And, uh, and I just was like, I'll probably pop out. And I just never popped out. I literally popped out of that energy, like at the finish line. Did you and, go in wanting to win? Uh, I mean, you were pretty, you were a little off the radar. Totally. No. And I like that. I yeah. love it off the radar because I mean, that's it speaks how to it, who you are perfectly. So, right. It's just, it's like, if it gets too much about performance, then you're performing and you're not being true inside. And so, no, I, um, well, I was coming back from this crazy injury where I'd broken my leg on a whitewater rafting trip in Idaho. And I, it was the first day of a six day trip. And I stayed on the wilderness, I stayed in the wilderness rather than getting evac. So I had this broken leg, got out, had to get surgery. Yeah. And my my doctor, my surgeon was like, you should never run again. Again, you know, it was like the echo chamber, never run again, again, again. And it was like in my head and So, um, I didn't listen to him. I mean, for the longest time I did, and I was scared and I was like, I can't run again. And and then I had this moment where I was like that, wait, that's his story, but it doesn't have to be mine. And I started running again and I felt good. And, and then I just had this idea that I wanted to sign up for, I wanted to do a hundred miles and I know all um, about this idea. (laughs) Yeah. And I signed up for Leadville because I'd had this little connection with it in my heart. I, again, like I do many things like driven by feel. And um, I had lo- years ago when I first moved to Santa Fe, one been big time into mountain biking and I wanted to ride the Leadville 100, but I never got around to it because it seems so intimidating to do a hundred miles on a bike. And <laughs> yeah, now it seems like, okay, that'd be cool. I mean, maybe not, but <laughs> yeah. And so I always thought I would run Leadville and I never did. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to sign up for it. And it's just like funny the way life brings it full circle. Again, like you think something's going to end up one way, but it looks a little different. So like 
yeah, I was going to do Leadville, but this time as a, you know, as a runner. And then the other connection I had was that I had run the Trans Rockies a few years earlier and had gone up and over Hope Pass and had like incredible day was the first woman over Hope Pass and felt like one of those, like I was flying. And, um, so those two reasons combined, um, to make me sign up and I got in just on the lottery, which is hard. Yeah. You know? It's really hard. <laughs> and, um, and then I got in and I did a good thing. Cause sometimes when I get into races, like if I'm not sure, I don't say it out loud, you know, like you keep it in. Sure. And that's often a bad sign. I'm just, for me, at least like, if I am not talking about it, I'm probably not committed or my why is not strong to go to George's point. But right away I got, I just got in on the lottery and I just like was sitting at the kitchen table and I just blurted out to Steve, I'm running Leadville. And wow. it was like, I was in meant, you know, like I was all in for myself, but no, I had no idea I would win. I thought I would be competitive, but I didn't want to get caught up in kind of who was running and what, who they were. And, um, so when did you realize yeah. you were going to win? Um, I, I guess I realized, I, I mean, I like early on at mile 15, a spectator was like, you're a second woman. And I was like, what? I was like, I don't want to be second woman. Like it's way too early. You know, I had passed a bunch of, I'd gone out, you know, easy. Like I'd said, like my plan. And then I was just cruising and they're like, you're second woman. I was like, well, great, but it's mile 15 and like anything can happen. So, you know, like just, I smiled and waved and, but, um, and that went on pretty much for a lot of the day. And then I did, um, I came into Winfield, the turnaround at mile 50, where my husband was meeting me to pace me, which was super exciting. And I knew that I was only like a few minutes back off of Addie. And, um, but again, I didn't have any like intention to try to catch her. Right. People had told me like, don't even, the race doesn't even start till mile 65 or so. Like, don't sure. even think about it. Sure. So I just was having a great day and running and like super psyched to run with my husband who was singing men at work songs. <laughs> I don't know who that is. And, you know, like <laughs> just having like, that's cause your age, you're so young. That's right. But, um, that's right. you know, nice. I'm just having a blast. we're having fun. And, uh, and, and so, and, but anyway, we got to the top of hope and I was still feeling great. And then when I came into twin lakes, um, is when I caught up with Addie, but I didn't really want to like hope then that I would win. Sure. Um, probably, you know, mile 75 at outward bound or yeah. for sure when I was at, um, um, is it turquoise Lake? Why am I spacing? May, May Queen, the last aid station with 13 miles to go. My pacer, who by then was this awesome runner named Wes, who's run Hard Rock. And he's a, just a really stellar mountain runner with a ton of experience. He was kind of secretly working his cell phone to get like split <laughs> updates. Yeah. Updates. And he told me that we were like 30 minutes up on Addie. And he basically. Oh, yeah. She was. Yeah. <laughs> he basically just said, like, if you don't totally nosedive, she would have to completely like rebound and you would have yeah, to. Yeah, no, she ran herself into the ground. I mean, I mean, if you, I was following on the tracker, mm -hmm. I don't know, middle of the night, typical mm -hmm. something I would do. But um, yeah, I mean, that was, it was amazing. It was, it was. Uh, so, so then, and then that was just like, I'll share my, my other little Leadville story. Then when he said that, 
um, you know, that it would, there would have to be a major reversal for both of us, for us not to win, for me not to win. Um, I was like, well, Wes, like what time is it even? I, my watch <laughs> died. I didn't even know what time it was. I mean, I knew it was night and he was like, well, it's 10. And I just, all of a sudden I was like, wait, I'm going to do the, like, I said, do you think we could break 20? And he was like, we might. And suddenly that became the new goal. And I hadn't even, like when I was sort of really conservatively doing my time between aid, I, you know, where you always add like extra 15 minutes, like round up, I was put it at, put me at like 21, 21 hours. And so that was just crazy. That was crazy. Um, I could totally sit here and talk about that with you all night, but I kind of want to like bring this full circle to maybe something more tangible for everybody right now. So like I said, I had my, I have a 14 year old, I had her in 2006. So I would read the outside online, the raising refers a lot. Um, and I feel like just the, you know, you as a writer, um, you as a mother, which also I think you talk beautifully about in the book. And I think a lot of us can relate to a lot of what you experienced and I wish we had more time to delve into it, but um, just kind of bringing that all full circle right now, kind of in the midst of this pandemic and wanting to raise your kids and you and your husband and be outside. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, how are you guys, you know, what are your challenges and what are you doing to kind of just stick to that? Uh, we want to raise our kids. We want to be outside. You know, we want to find our joy in nature and that um, type of situation that I think we're all kind of striving for. Right yeah. Now. I mean, that's a great question because it is. And, and like, I'll just say right off the bat, we're so fortunate. Like we've been well, our family members though far away are well, like we have stability in our work. My, you know, our work hasn't been dramatically affected. So we're really lucky and so many people, have, there's so much suffering and sickness and, and hardship. And so um, just to like honor people's experiences with that is um, important. Um, but for us, I mean, the pandemic in a way has been a good experience for getting, you know, for the way we're trying to live in that, like, you know, outside is safe. And that's been my mantra, like, cause I've been really conservative. I obviously have a history of anxiety and health related anxiety. So early on, I was like, really, we were pretty, we kept things pretty tight here, but always outside felt pretty safe to me and nature already is like a safe place for me. So, and with kids sports canceled and all that stuff, all those schedules, it was like, there was nothing to do, but go outside. So we just did a ton. I mean, starting right at the pandemic, we would do like a new hike every weekend. And I've lived in Santa Fe 25 years and I was doing things that I hadn't done in like 20 years or things I'd never done. So it was a really great experience just to bring it back to what George and I were talking about is running where you are of like being in your place. And so we did all that and um, we continue to, like we did a ton of backpacking this summer. We couldn't travel, we couldn't go to Canada, um, you know? And so we, and the kids are of a great age for that. So we're lucky. Um, and then, yeah, and still sports are not happening. And, and so that opens it up. And I think a lot of it is mindset and being like, okay, well, we can't do this, but like what, if one door closes, what's the opening? And so the opening is like, my kids got really into mountain biking this summer. And, um, you know, there's just, I think there's always opportunity and it's just about being nimble and changing the way you think. And, and, but the latest, the biggest stress has been school 
obviously, and like sending yeah. back. And um, we made the decision. My older daughter, Pippa, is in middle school. And so she was already changing schools, but we switched both of them into this outdoor based, um, nature based Montessori, which has been amazing. So they do all their small classes, 10 kids, and they do all their lessons and learning, like in the Arroyo, like in the sandy wash outside the school. And I feel so fortunate because so most people don't have that opportunity. And I wish there were, I wish there were more outdoor options for public schools because we're real public school people. My husband and I both grew up in public schools and I, and I think there can be, it just takes a pretty radical shift. We didn't have enough time to kind of mobilize for that. Exactly. (laughs) And, and, and the public schools are so big, but so, so I feel grateful. I mean, I think what's really been hard is the time it's taken away from us with our extended families. Yeah. And that time we just won't get back. You know, we have older grandparents and, you know, when I think about that too much, that that's really difficult. Um, is, is that loss of time that we've all had, like, and connection with people. Sure. Um, um, so just to wrap it up in the last few minutes, when you're not running outside or mountain biking or, um, you know, hiking with your kids, you mentioned that you are working on another book. Yeah. So can you tell us anything about that? What we have to look forward to? Is yeah, it about Leadville win or? It's, it's a book, much like Running Home, you said it so perfectly in the beginning is, is, a lot, not really about running in a lot of ways. This book is, is kind of the next chapter in the story about like, well, what happens if you're, if it's not your body, that's your greatest asset, but your, but your mind and like how you can be so strong in your mind and, and kind of free from limitations. Um, And so many of those limitations we put on ourselves and others might put on us, but it's, if we shift the way we thinking what's possible. And it's really, it is partially the story of that dramatic accident um, and Leadville, but again, that's sort of the superficial arc and um, the working tagline I have, which like won't probably go in the book, but um, is a little about running a lot about life. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and it's that, um, isn't it always that though? I think it it's is always, always that. <laughs> it's always that, but it's actually, it's not because I feel like there are some running books that are like a lot about running. Oh no, that for sure. But I just mean life is really, <laughs> yeah. even, even if in the midst of a hundred mile race, it's, I would even garner to say a little bit about running and a lot about life. Yes. So. <laughs> yes. Well said, Michelle. Yeah. So, um, it's pretty exciting and I'm, I'm going back and sort of revisiting a lot of that, um, leading up to Leadville. And I'm just amazed at what I'm finding in my notebooks because it was so like, my recovery was so mental. Like I had entire visualizations in my notebooks, which I'd forgotten about until I reread them of running a hundred miles. And the, the, the story that I, I mean, the race I thought I was running or that I visualized running was hard rock, which I'm like, I, I want to run more than anything. Um, can you but get I, into Hard Rock? Can I don't. You get in I, if you're a previous Leadville winner. <laughs> I don't know. No, you don't. I wish you did. Hello, yeah. anyone listening? Um, <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> uh, but but uh, um, there were so many details. Like I wrote, I really believe in visualizing. Like um, and I was writing details. Like 
I'm running through the night and and so many of those were exactly how they played out only at Leadville. And so um, the power of the imagination, I think that's really what the book's about is the power of the imagination to sort of like shape our lives and, and lead us places that we never dreamt we'd be and to accomplish things we never thought possible. That's amazing. It's called running free. Awesome. And when can we expect it? Is there a... <laughs> No, no, it's still in the works. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really fun to be working on it. Cause I, again, with like, with running home, even when I was finishing running home, I was like, oh, I'm writing another book right now at the same time in my notebook. Sure. And I could tell that the story was being born. That's fascinating. We can't wait to read it or I can't wait to read it. I can't wait to read it. I look forward to it as well. I can't wait to to talk to you guys about it. You have had amazing um, insights (laughs) and questions. I always learn a lot about the book and, and the process and, and running when I talk to people. So thank you. Well, thank you. I mean, we, we clearly took a lot from reading it and we, we appreciate the amount of time and the amount of thought that you put into to, to crafting it. Thank you. Well, I appreciate the amount of thought you put into reading it and asking these questions and um, yeah. And, and can I just ask you a question? Can I, um, do, do we tell people who are listening how to find it, et cetera? Yeah, yeah, definitely do it. Okay. Cause I also just wanted to say just on the writing and running topic, I do, I am leading running and writing kind of flow retreats. And I started right before the pandemic, we had one in Utah that was amazing. Um, but that's something because I'm so fascinated by that intersection between, movement and the imagination um, that that's in the works for 2021. So um, if you're interested, you can find that on my website at katiearnold.net. Very good. katiearnold.net indeed. I will be going there pretty much as soon as we hang up. Yeah. And then social media, obviously. Um, Yeah. Follow me. I love to hear what people are up to. I mean, like I get so inspired hearing what other runners journeys are and everyone's has been so different during the pandemic. Some people are still racing. Some people are going wild for FKTs. Some people are running their home hills like me and just going deep there. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's exciting. Everybody's yeah. trying to run where they are. Run where you are. Hashtag mm-hmm. run where you are. <laughs> Thank you so much, Katie. And this has been really fun. And if you ever want to ask me any questions about Leadville offline, any fair game, just shoot fire away. Awesome. That'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. We appreciate you joining us. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasant podcast. You can find us on Twitter at pleasant podcast. You can find us on Instagram, most pleasant exhaustion. And you can always download our podcast from Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, ITL Coaching and Performance at itlcoaching.com on Twitter at itlcoaching at Facebook, facebook.com slash performance, and on Instagram, itlcoaching. You can check out Blue Pineapple Travel at bluepineappletravel.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, or on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, SlayerX. You can find them at slayerx.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash here4slayerx, that's the number four, here4slayerx, on Instagram at here4slayerx, again the number four, and on Twitter at officialslayrx. Don't forget the discount code PLEASANT2020.
On behalf of Patrick Ollinger and Michelle Frank, this is George Darden. We appreciate you joining us on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. <laughs>